We can't have you just giggling to yourself in the background. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I am Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver and someone's resilient kid. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Acevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, bouncing back every time your mechanic. This is it, drivers. We are pulling into the garage. We have made it to the end of the season. quote is by Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Do you think Winston Churchill said anything that hasn't been quoted? Yes. We've been talking about resilience in lots of different relationships. Last week, we had Sarah and Janice on to talk about resilience in marriages. This is our final episode of both the season and our arc on resilience, and we're going to cover how to raise resilient kids. It should be pretty easy, I'm sure. So Don, how do we raise resilient kids? Step one, step two, step three. <laughs> have a child. Yeah. Number one, you have to have a child. That, that's always step a good one, thing. Acquire a baby. Right. And it's not particularly easy because what you'll hear throughout all of this is how you model handling stress and difficulty and challenges and problems will be how your kids tend to model all those kinds of changes and difficulties. That's kind of the bottom line. So what are so the... So you're saying it's not easy. No, it's not easy at all. Sorry, listeners. I think about it's it. It's easy if you were a resilient kid and you're now a resilient parent. It's easier. But remember, parenting is not a one person thing. Generally, you're doing it with another person or with several other people. And that makes it a little bit more complicated. So what happens if you have one parent that is able to handle stress and changes relatively easily and seems to breeze through it and the other parent is worried and anxious? Mm. Would you say that the child will pick up more on one or the other or kind of end up in between? Well, I guess it depends on the child. Depends on the child and it depends on the relationship with each of the parents. That's why modeling is such a key thing and the relationship is such a, a key element of creating resilient kids. So the first thing you got to do is don't give your kid everything they want or need. But we teach them to ask for things and then we don't give it to them? Yes. That it seems mean. No, it's important to hear no. And from time to time, you know, you ask for things and you need to hear no. Isn't it a lot easier to learn how to how to deal with a no when you're six instead of, you know, 26? I think respectfully, it is challenging at both. I was going to say equally hard in my book. <laughs> uh, emotional dysregulation at six is is real. And then 26 is challenging because it's probably a different type of want. Sure. And it's easier to teach a six-year-old emotional regulation than it is to teach a 26-year-old emotional regulation. That's true. So it's about teaching children in small bits so that it becomes easier. You have to teach it over and over again. So you'll teach it at six, you'll teach it at 12, you'll teach it at 16, you'll teach it at 18, you'll teach it at 22. A lot of teaching. Sure. And even at 60, you're still learning how to manage big life changes, big events that might happen. But most parents, the kid says, oh, I don't like riding the bus. Okay, I'll carpool you. And the parent goes around their left elbow to try and accommodate the kid. Don't do that. Mm. 
let the kid learn how Go to problem solve right riding the bus. Kids scared to sleep in their own room. Don't let them sleep in your room necessarily. Work with them to solve the problem so that they can sleep in their own room. So that's one of the things. Don't accommodate every need. Work with the child to solve some of their problems. You also have to allow them to take risks. The only way to learn how to make good decisions is to make some decisions, some of which will be bad and some of which will be good. Right, Kim? Yes, I make many bad decisions. But it's also taught you how to handle the outcomes of those decisions. Yes? Fair points most of the time. Uh, yeah, I, I think you handle some of the Some of the experiences I had to ask for external input on what am I learning here? But see, that's okay. The fact that you asked for help me get some perspective on this, that's a resilient trait. Teach them how to problem solve, you know, how to break something down into parts and then solve each part of that problem. Also teach them concrete skills. If you have a shy kid and we have met young kids who have been very shy, hide behind the parents. We've talked about that before the three mm -hmm. of us. One of the things with that shy child is teach them the skills to greet someone and start a conversation so that instead of approaching this and having no knowledge of what to do, they have at least a plan. I'm not getting much pushback here from any of you. Or... Well, it doesn't make sense. I agree. I've been I, making I felt like sassy I was hassling comments. You. I was hassling you earlier, so I was letting you get through some stuff. Okay. You're free to hassle <laughs> I, me. Oh, okay, I thought great. I was making some good color commentary. Okay. Concrete skills. So like mixing the water and the concrete and then... Well, smoothing it all out, water making a and sand and <laughs> Well, yeah. you get the concrete mix nowadays. You don't have to build it from scratch, you know? It's sort of like getting, what's that bake stuff that you hate? Bisquick. <laughs> Bisquick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Quickcrete, right? They even use the Quick. It's probably the same company. Probably. <laughs> uh, uh, toast. Can you imagine if Bisquick and Quickcrete were the same company? <laughs> oh, God. I love it. No, love thank it. you. Cross-contamination. Yeah, it's real. Yes. Oh, yeah. So when you talk Concrete to your kids, skills. instead of saying, why did you do that? Which is a very typical parent question. There is no correct answer to why you did, did you do that. Ask, how did you make yeah. that decision? You know, what were you looking to accomplish? How, how did you get your hand stuck in this face? <laughs> well, you see. You know, why is also a very common child question. Yes. To which there are no good parent answers. That's correct. In my experience. Mm -hmm. Because I said so. <laughs> right. <laughs> because. Hmm. Why questions tend to trigger a sense of defensiveness. It comes across as an accusation more than a real question. And don't provide all the answers. Encourage problem solving. You know, get them to at least make an attempt at figuring out where to get the information. This is mm. one of the problems. You know, parents are, are stressed. They have a lot of pressures on them. They want to get done, kid asks a question, they give them the answer and they move on. But then the kid doesn't really learn how to solve the problem for themselves. Sure. I mean, that's going to happen, but I get, I get it. Just the don't ideal. do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What was when we were talking about parenting a few arcs ago, it was like three out of five times or whatever you have to three out pay of attention ten. to your kid. <laughs> I don't know. Three out of 10. You're, and you're a superstar. Cause three it's just not, ten. Yeah. Wow. That seems achievable. It is achievable. It really is. If you can mess up a lot more than you succeed and you'll still succeed overall. The other thing is avoid talking in catastrophic terms. Parents this do this. This is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> this is the worst mistake you've ever made. Right, I can't I believe it. I have a legitimate question around this. Sure. Is it helpful in teaching problem solving to help the child think about the best possible outcome, which would be hyperbolic, and the worst possible outcome, also hyperbolic, 
in order to teach that the more likely scenario is something in between those two. As long as you get to that final point, it's fine. Right. This is not like you're reacting in a catastrophic or hyperbolic way. Right. This is more like child has presented some problem or decision or risk or whatever, and you're helping them figure out what the most likely outcome of their choices would be. Right. It's, it's like the parent who says, if you don't do your homework, you're going to be a homeless man who eats out of garbage cans. Well, I mean, that's true, though. <laughs> <laughs> there are an amazing number of people who are homeless who actually completed college or advanced degrees. Yes, of course. I'm, I'm, of course, <laughs> listeners, I am kidding. I wanted to I get did, Papa to I laugh, did not and do, I succeeded. Yes. I did not do my homework, and uh, I have a pretty successful career. So, yeah, oh. But what are you eating out of? Paper plates. <laughs> In any case, um, hyperbole diminishes tracking. resilience. So the idea that you presented, Ben, the idea of bracketing it, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? And what's the most probable thing that can happen? That's actually teaching problem-solving skills. Right. And what did happen? So where on that spectrum yeah, did can, we fall? Yeah. Look at it after, yeah, mm -hmm. after the event. And that's like, I'm just trying to point out, it's not that you need to avoid hyperbole or catastrophic terms entirely it's you don't want to be using that as your go-to like default response to things it needs to be formulated in a way that's helpful right and if it's just left at the catastrophic thing then yeah that's what erodes confidence right so what right. You're, one of the things you're trying to build is confidence the idea that i can tackle a problem i can manage a change and then let your kids make mistakes let them experience the consequences of their actions Oh, no. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to hear that. That's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> it is a very unpopular opinion. So why is it so unpopular? Because mm, parents because... are terrified of their children getting hurt or losing options in the future. Because you, know? you think you know better. You think I've made that mistake, so I don't want to let them make that mistake. And I think that's true of, of certain things. I think that there are examples, I would say... For instance, financially, Don, you and Janice taught us a bunch of stuff that you learned the hard way financially so that we wouldn't make those mistakes. And you didn't let us make those mistakes because you knew the consequences and you knew a way to teach us that still let us be independent and build confidence. Sure. So we, we taught concrete skills that helped yes. you make better decisions so you didn't make those mistakes. You've probably made other mistakes with your money that no, I don't necessarily definitely. need to know about. 300%. <laughs> yep. I mean, everybody um, does. And, and, and it's not even just mistakes with money. It's mistakes with anything. Like when you mistook sugar for salt or salt for sugar. Oh, um, you didn't let uh, me do that technically. Thing. Technically, I let him do that. But you were baking <laughs> and I wasn't supervising. And he, he, yeah, but we, he did I not was... mistake salt for sugar. No home bucket thought it said a half a cup of sugar <laughs> of salt. He just read it wrong. Which is <laughs> Okay. Again, you make your mistakes and you learn from them. And, you, you and then you spit them out in the sink. <laughs> yes. I think another reason parents are afraid of letting their children make mistakes or experience consequences is because they view the success of their child as a reflection of their own success. And so seeing their child fail means that they themselves are failing as a parent. So as, as Winston pointed out, failure is not fatal. Is that what it was? Well, you're the one who wrote the quote down. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, the most successful people in the world learn how to take managed risks, fail, learn from it, 
and improve the next time. Yeah, I would say dealing with failure is a big part of resilience just overall. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, if you never fail, you have nothing to be resilient from. True. Well, there's plenty of outside influences that could, you don't have to fail to have some amount of resilience, but I, I still think it's a key component. All right. What else are we doing? Well, you also have to help them manage their emotions, right? So we've talked about this a million different times. You have to help them label their emotion, express their emotion in an appropriate way that's going to maintain the relationship and not destroy it. And model managing your own emotions. Model mm. being angry and expressing your anger in a way that's not destructive, but still gets across that you're not very happy. It's not the emotion that will get you into trouble. It's how you express it that will get you into trouble. So teach your kids. Do you guys remember learning how to how to be angry in a way that wouldn't destroy the relationship with your parents or with your sibling? Not specifically, but sort of. I mean, I remember the one time Papa yelled at me. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's like the only thing I remember from childhood, apparently, is the one thing that Papa <laughs> you took my told iPod us away. Many stories from your childhood. So you obviously remember a lot more than that. But that I don't is remember the one... specifically because that's the thing about this kind of teaching, right? When mm -hmm. you're teaching children in this way and you're modeling things, it's not like you're in class. You're not like, oh, this semester we're learning how to express our emotions. It's happening constantly. Yes. And sometimes it's not happening and other times it is happening. And there's not a clear delineation in my head when I was learning this. I guess, I mean, I definitely remember more... I mean, my anxiety and depression comes out as anger. Mm -hmm. So I suppose it was regulating the anger. But I remember like sitting down on the steps and being like, all right, let's take some deep breaths together. And me being like, I don't want to because, you know, me. And I remember that more with you, Don, than I do with Janice. But we were also very antagonistic to each other. Yeah. And we fed off of each other's anger. So it was harder to pull us back. <laughs> Because we just fed into each other's behaviors. Yes. <laughs> Believe me, I remember that vividly. Yeah, I think the whole neighborhood probably remembers that. So you do remember some of those things, sitting down and let's take a few breaths. Also, probably hearing me say, I get that you're really angry right now and I really want to understand it. And I can't when you're screaming and... I don't remember that. I just remember, help me understand. Well, that would, that would come at the end when you could actually understand what I was saying. <laughs> Now I can't understand it at all. Oh, yes, you can. I think, I think somebody on an episode of Survivor last week said, help me understand. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing the game. Gross. <laughs> all right. The last thing is you got to model resilience. I started with that and you got it. And I'm ending with that. How you handle struggles, change, challenges will be how your children handle it. I mean, I think this goes hand in hand with modeling emotions or managing, modeling, managing your emotions as well. Cause sure. kid comes up and you're stressed out about work or money or something. And they're like, what's going on dad? And you're like, well, you know, I'm feeling really anxious about this. And just talking through that mm -hmm. is a great example for your kid. I and mean, obviously depending on the age of the kid, you don't need to be like telling them everything, but explaining why you're anxious or stressed or angry or frustrated or tired and, and what that's about does exactly that models, your emotions, sure. models, you managing them, models, resilience, all of it. And, and you can even tell a five-year-old, you know, I, I got some information and I got really scared. 
Because what a five-year-old will do is get whatever their security thing is. It might be a stuffed animal or a blanket and bring it to you because that's what helps them. So they'll come and do that. And kids at about five or so are incredibly generous around taking care of another person's emotions. They lose that in a couple more years, <laughs> somewhere around second grade or so. But right there, they're, they really would care if you share what's going on appropriately, right? Right. Making sure that you don't dump it on the child because there are some children who are hypersensitive to it mm -hmm. and would take that emotion on. Mm -hmm. and You're not asking for help from the child. You're explaining right. your status to the child. Right. Right. So making sure to clarify that with them because some kids don't get the implied message and just making sure like, hey, this is how I'm feeling and this isn't yours. You don't have to solve this. Just know that my behaviors might change because I'm feeling this type of way. Mm -hmm. I don't um, know that a five-year-old would totally get that, but I get your point. Right. And you, you would, of course, gear it to the kid. And you know, a kid at five years old could be much more able to understand than some kids at 10. All right. So don't accommodate every need. Allow some risk. Problem solving. Concrete skills. Asking basically any question except why, not providing the answers, not talking catastrophically, allowing mistakes, which is kind of like allowing risk, mm -hmm. modeling emotional management and resilience. That's it, right? The how-to. Pretty much. Cool. So let's talk about the relationship end of it. What, what role does the parental relationship play beyond the task list of how-to? The key thing is to have a, a warm and close connection with your kid that is supportive even when they make mistakes, right? So even when they're super upset or they break something or they do something stupid, crash your car or whatever. I've not done that, no. just to clarify. You've not Nor have I. No, you guys have been yeah. very good. Actually, you both are pretty good drivers. Don, did you Papa crash someone's it. car as a kid? Oh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes oh is it story time <laughs> yes as a matter of fact within the first week of getting my license i backed up into another car so wow yeah and, and it happens and to clarify don also backed up into my car recently that is true yeah you crowded it on the parking pad and Excuse, Ooh, that wow. was not me, Mr. I have a backup camera. Oh, mm -hmm. out comes yeah. the dirty laundry. <laughs> That's right. Come at That's me. Right. Actually, you're absolutely right. I have a backup camera, but it doesn't look out the side and it was a side thing. So excuses. Not an excuse. It, that's what it was. I did. What did I do? As a matter of fact, what happened when you came back inside and told me? <laughs> right. And what was that modeling? Uh, Guilt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a word for it and I'm blanking on what the word is. Wow. Really? Personal responsibility. Yeah. Thank you. Papa's favorite. I kept, personal respect was what kept coming to my brain. And I was close. like, that is not the word. But it was really close. But and it was an act of respect, right? I did this to your car. You're going to see it. I want you to know it from me as soon as possible. So that's again, not modeling behavior. And it's not that I'm a perfect parent, but I do try to pay attention to the big obvious ones like that one. So warm connection, <laughs> warm connection that's supportive even when mistakes happen. Being consistent and constant. I love you. I'm your parent. I'll always be your parent. That's never going to change. That's constancy. Consistency is whatever your rules are. 
those are your rules. And, and the kid doesn't challenge it because they stay consistent. They don't get made into exceptions and all the rest of that stuff. When a parent can be a very dependable rock on which the kid can, can count, that creates a great deal of safety and security so the kid is willing to take risks and to explore and to discover things. It also helps create very healthy attachment because this primal relationship has been stable and consistent. Sort of a, a barnacle yeah. on a rock. Yes. There you go. You want your kids to be barnacles. <laughs> and then you can call them Barney. The other thing is to help them build a sense of competency that they can do things. So call out the behaviors they do do well and how they contribute to the family system and make it behaviorally based. What are you laughing at, Kim? Whether or not they listen to you. You guys did very good job of calling out successful behaviors and I did not listen. So, you know, recognizing that your child may not pay attention to that or may not receive it, possibly exploring new ways of sharing that information. So a thing that I have learned over the years is that words of affirmation is the lowest on my love languages. So when people say positive things about me, I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter. So possibly exploring new ways to share that success and competency with them and finding new ways to communicate it if your child doesn't respond to verbal appreciation of it. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So give us some examples of other ways that you could do that. Maybe writing them a card or inviting them to go out to do something. So, you know, hey, you were really successful with your grades this month and I'm really excited. Let's go do that pottery class that you were talking about. Or even, hey, you know, with what you've been doing, I'm really proud of you. You've earned a day off from chores. So you don't have to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So that different type of reward system where it's not necessarily just like, hey, good job. I'm really proud of that 100 you got on the test. Or like, I'm really proud of the 95 that you got on the test where the student may not be as happy with it because it's not the 100. And so therefore it was not good enough, which was my internal narrative. And so mom and papa being like, heck yeah, we're so proud of your 95. And I'm like, it's not good enough. I have been a burden upon the family. Yeah, no. Talk about a crazy self-narrative when I was a child. So different types of reward systems and not necessarily all item-based. So activities, doing things together might be rewarding or giving them the autonomy like, hey, let's invite your friends over for a sleepover or why don't you go to the mall with your friends, right? Giving them space to go do things as they get older. So thinking of teenagers who might not want to do a pottery class with you. True, true. Um, also, inviting them to help you with things that they've done well in before. Hey, you were really helpful when you were when we were changing out those light switches. You want to help me hang some fans in the house? No, no ceiling <laughs> fans. We're done with it. You liked them before. <laughs> I like light switches. This is just a cleverly disguised chore. It is. You know, um, life is filled but with if it's, all kinds of chores. <laughs> and if it's a thing that they excel in, mm -hmm. right? If they're very good at it getting to do it with you might feel rewarding as well. Right, right. You like know? cooking and, and that kind of stuff. So again, that's also teaching them concrete life skills like we were talking about before. And seeing their role in creating success. Yes. One of the other things about that whole creating success and seeing their role, it, it helps kids build an internal sense of control. Internal locus of control is the technical term for it. And that's an important element of resilience. The idea that my actions, my choices have an effect on my life instead of I'm just living at the whim of all of these external forces that make my life miserable. 
that's a huge difference between people who are capable of managing change and folks who just crumble under changes and difficulties. Honestly, I'm kind of shocked that we've made it to the end of season two. And I don't think we've mentioned internal and external locuses of control before. I think we've talked about it under the phrases of motivation, not necessarily. It might've been in season one too. It was in season one, but we're mentioning it now because we just can't get out of the year without at least talking a little bit about that. Key element, by the way, of being resilient is having an internal locus of control. My actions can get effects in the world that I choose. I would say simpler or lower level of that. My actions matter. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. They matter. That's it. Things I do matter. Because if you don't believe that and like where you can't do anything, where are you coming from? You're a victim. That's, right. You know, if you if the other side of that is nothing I can do will make anything better, that's a sense of hopelessness and, and victimhood. Right. And you're not going to be able to. That's when you end up on our couches. You will not be <laughs> yes. resilient because you won't be able to deal with change. Right. Exactly. Right. So the, um, another thing is to see them, let them see mistakes as opportunities for learning and that life is iterative. It is not you have to get it perfect the first time out. And a lot of kids um, believe I'm that. I'm sorry. You don't get a retest on the SATs. Yes, you do. Yeah, you just take them again. Right. It costs money for that. It, well, I didn't say it was without consequence. <laughs> right. It, it, it's still a retest. I couldn't think of a thing. I guess just general tests in high school. You don't usually get retake options. No, yeah, but it's not about retaking. It's about learning from the mistake. That's right. So yeah, you don't get, you're right. You don't always get an option to redo something. But you learn things. I mean, I've I've told this story before, but when I started in college, one of my first classes was calculus and I was very good at math and it was a 7.30, which is ungodly, 7.30 class. So I only showed up for the tests and I aced the tests. I got hundreds on all the tests, but I got a C in the class. In the second quarter, I went back to the professor and said, you know, how did I get a C in the class? I got hundreds on all the tests and I brought everything back and he said, look at your syllabus. So I look at my syllabus and it said class attendance was half your grade. And he said, I was lenient. And that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) I learned from that. Yeah. I learned from that. Got a C in that class. (laughs) And uh, I read the syllabus on every other class for the rest of my time in the college. And Uh, none of them had attendance grades. So you skipped out. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Managing change. Right. Setting and achieving goals. A lot Mm. of this is like, the role of the parent is to facilitate experiences with change or struggle that mm-hmm. are going to build resilience. Yes. So you're there, you're the rock, you're consistent, but you're allowing challenge. Sure. You know, your, your kid is facing a change or is failing at something and you're allowing that because mm-hmm. it's a learning experience. Yes. So it's things like we had a rule growing up that you had to do one artistic kind of thing and one sports kind of thing. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> And you could pick whatever you wanted. But kind once of. <laughs> Except for karate. Because you couldn't touch your toes. Only because you only asked mom. <laughs> well, that was my mistake. But <laughs> I learned that I couldn't do karate. Right. What sport thing did I take? You did soccer, sweetie. Yeah, we both did soccer for years and years. Up yeah, until but I we dropped could... out of soccer in like seventh grade. You also did right. gymnastics. And then you did I dance. Did did dance for years. Yeah. When did I do gymnastics? You did gymnastics when you were like four. But you did really? dance for years and years. 
I did do dance for a long time. And then by the time we were in high school, we were in marching band stuff, band. Which, which is, I guess, is, both an art and you know, a I sport. I wouldn't call it a sport, but it's definitely a physical activity. <laughs> yeah, it's a definite physical I would activity. Call it a sport. Um, well, it's not a sport. I mean, it's, it's not like a. That's like saying gymnastics or dance isn't a sport. It's a competitive sport. It's a team-based competitive sport, yeah. right? We went to competitions. Right. We're off topic okay. and we're trying to keep it. But the idea, short today. the idea I mean, was people people get mad when you're like marching bands a sport. I'm not going to have that argument because I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's physical activity. Sure. But fine, it can be a sport. I don't. I don't care. It's, Regardless, it's not going to show up in the Olympics. <laughs> It'd be really cool if it did. Yeah, it would. Olympic marching bands. It would only be drum corps, so I wouldn't support it. Uh, Sorry, drum corps fans. But that allow saxophones, and I think that's messed up. That was also an opportunity for you all to set and achieve goals and to fulfill commitments. That once you started, you had to finish whatever the season was before you could change. And um, that leads to a strong work ethic. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and would you all say that both of you have pretty strong work ethic? Well, we're recording a podcast on a Sunday afternoon, so yeah. <laughs> I think I only have a strong work ethic when I have someone else saying like, hey, do the thing. So mm, doing it for yourself I, is harder, huh? I think it depends a lot because I get what you're saying. I definitely work harder when there's an exterior, an external motivator. motivator. But sometimes I create those for myself. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being an external motivator that pushes me to work hard, but I made it. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of sometimes I have to wait for like the consequence to be rough enough that I make the change. Oh, that's true so, like, for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I, I think about the dishes that I have in my sink where I'm like, I need to do these. Have I done them yet? No. You know, and eventually they will get to a point where like, you don't have much of a choice. You have to do your dishes, <laughs> you know? Cause it's really sad when you're picking through your sink for the least dirty dish to use for tonight's meal. <laughs> Mine doesn't actually ever get that bad. I've but. been there. Um, it's hard to self-motivate because I don't have anyone else in the house that's reliant on clean dishes. It's just me. Do I really need to wash this mug before I use it again? Mm, Probably not. You could be like one of my roommates that used paper plates because he didn't want to wash dishes. (laughs) just It threw me back to Dr. Adams who didn't wash his coffee mug. I, Uh I, I only wash my coffee mug like every three or four uses. Okay. It's got bean water in it. I drank it all. What's in, what's, I rinse it out. Rinse it out. And then pour some more in it there. Okay. Use yeah. it the next day. It's fine. What the heck is going to go in there that's bad? Okay. I was giving you the face because I didn't, you, you rinse it out. That, that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, I don't like leave a nasty ring in there or anything, but like. Anyway, sorry. So another, Strong work ethic. Another thing. Some for, of us suck at it. <laughs> for work ethic and resilience is to get them involved in something that is a cause beyond themselves. So this is like volunteering to do things. Or contributing, marching band. Huh? Marching band. <laughs> well, that's a different activity, but yeah, you know, it's it's like picking up trash. There's a along cause there. beyond myself. <laughs> okay, I mean, it can be so many things, right? You involved us in a church community. Yes, I did for some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a church community. Nope, could be other. It doesn't even have to be volunteer stuff. There's lots of extracurricular <laughs> stuff at schools, right? And there's lots of non-school based extracurriculars. It even that term doesn't even have to be technically an extracurricular. It just needs, in this particular case, it needs to be something that is not directly beneficial to the self. It's in service to the community in some way. Sure. And probably outside of the immediate family. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And then the other thing is that you always have to remember that you're the model in the relationship. What you say and do carries way more importance to the kid than it does to you. So you may forget that you did something, but the child may never forget. They couldn't do karate because of their poor flexibility. Yes. Or you tell them that the lyrics to a song mean something completely different than what they are. Never do that. The tragedy. Or, they won't figure it out until their mid-twenties. Or, or you sing songs around the house and your children just believe that you wrote them. <laughs> Listen, also Mama until their Pajama mid-20s. is... Paul Simon, what are you thinking? Who writes Mama Pajama Rolled Down the Hill? Only Papa would write something like it that. It was Rolled Out of Bed. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and then she went to the... You probably sang Rolled Down the Hill at least a few times. I probably did all kinds of things to butcher that poor song. I also did not realize it was police station. I always heard like poly, like rolling. <laughs> I don't think he ever knew the next line. It was always just the first line over and over again, too. <laughs> but see, that, that's an example of a behavior I engaged in that I was not cognizant of. I had no idea that it would have any impact on either of you. I only discovered that when you were in your mid-20s. <laughs> <laughs> and heard the real song and <laughs> got very confused. Honestly, kind of shocking. I didn't really hear that song until maybe my early 20s, but like, I don't think it ever came up. You didn't listen to a lot of Paul Simon in the house. So I can't argue that point because I don't know. Yeah. And I didn't really listen to Paul Simon. And then like one day I I did and everything changed. And you found out just how brilliant he was or is. Yeah. He's a pretty good songwriter. You're the model. That's it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And there's some topics that I think we're going to carry this into for next year. Looking into the distance, listener. I am. Anticipatory. Yeah. Hopeful. He really is. I don't know why, though. His eyes are going all over the place. (laughs) So are Kim's. I don't What's going on over there, you two? I I was looking looking, for something, actually. I I only have one screen today, so I'm focused. Everybody is looking way off. (laughs) I'm like, what's happening? It's a challenge when you have multiple screens. Can I? I was so, actually looking at Spotify to see if we even had any Paul Simon CDs growing up. Oh yes, you did. You had several. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh-huh. I don't think it was on like regular rotation. It's not one that I remember. I feel like I would have noticed if me and Julio played in the house as you Frequently. know, like a teenager. Well, and right? what you, yeah, what you heard more of was the Indigo Girls and Billy Joel and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very familiar with those. It's just <laughs> you frequently sang that song to yourself. And I had never heard the original until much later. Right. It's all good. Right. It's when just very thinking. funny. So one of the we things only I think had we're going to talk about. Paul Simon CDs to be specific. <laughs> right. One's Graceland and the other one is uh, Greatest Hits, right? Yeah, I was going to say it's probably no, Greatest Hits. The Rhythm of the Saints. Oh, the Rhythm. Oh, that was. Oh. Yes. You also didn't hear a lot of Stevie Wonder, but I own that too. You now have the Stevie Wonder albums because I don't have an album player anymore. A phonograph. So, I, you know, one of the topics I think. <laughs> I'm sorry. A phonograph from 1837. <laughs> At least I don't have my phonograph player anymore. It was lost on the Titanic. <laughs> All right. Turntable. Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> Record player? That'll do it for me. Uh-huh. All right. It's also a phonograph. In any case, one of the things we might talk about next, next season, next year, are eight key abilities for kids to be successful and have strength in the world. Because again, this is around positive parenting. How do you lead a child to be doing really well instead of keep trying to mitigate problems? Well, that does it. A concise how-to on raising resilient kids. So get out there and do it, people. Mostly focus on that modeling. 
kind of the big overarching pay attention to what you're doing because your kid's paying attention. So this is the end of our arc on resilience. And it's also the end of season two of the Relationship Road Trip. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. We will be back in February 2022 with more advice on the most important relationships in your life. Don't forget to message us on Facebook, write us an email, or send us a good old-fashioned letter if you have suggestions for the show. We would love some input on where to take the show next. Uh, We got some ideas, but it would be amazing to hear from anybody out there listening. We hope everyone has a lovely holiday season, and until next year, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.